Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, June 9th, 2013. Today's message is Transformed by the Mission, Our Own Salvation, by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the challenge that your son gave to these 72 and for the things that they learned along the way. So God, as we open our our Bibles and as we hear this word to us, God, I pray that you would teach us more about who you are and more about who we are and what you have called us to be about in your world. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Amen. You know, we're often very familiar with hearing about the 12 disciples. Uh, These 12 that, that Jesus called to himself and who were the closest to him in his ministry and who Uh, followed him uh, from the very beginning until almost the very end, when most of them scattered and ran away. But at other points in the gospel stories, we get hints that there were a lot more people who were following him around the area of Galilee. In our scripture today, we read that there were not only 12 that were following him, but that there were at least 72 people following him. 72 followers of Jesus who were close enough to him to believe in his message, close enough to him that he would be confident enough to send them ahead of him into the various towns and villages that he was planning to go to. Jesus gathers these 72 around him and he tells them to go into these towns and that as they go, that they're going to be, need to be a people who are completely dependent on God. completely dependent on God. Jesus says to them in verse 7, uh, sorry, in verse 4, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone along the road. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. In other words, you are going to be at the mercy of God for your provision and for your daily bread. And he says to them, as you go into these towns, you are to go and you are to find a person of peace. Uh, That is a person who you feel may be open to God and may be open to this message of the kingdom. And you are to receive the hospitality of that person. Stay in their home. Eat whatever it is that they set in front of you. And stay there and be present in that city and heal the sick and proclaim the message that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, Jesus calls them to go, and he says, go into these towns and villages and do the same things that you have seen me doing. 
This is exactly what God, Jesus has been doing up to this point in the Gospel of Luke. He's been traveling around, he's been staying with people, and he's been healing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he says, now you have watched me do this work, and now I'm calling you to go and to do the same thing. And in this story, we see that Jesus' disciples, all 72 of them, go. They go two by two into the surrounding towns and villages. But in the Gospel of Luke, Luke does not give us any kind of detailed report about what goes on with these 72 disciples. Instead, all Luke says is that they came back and they reported to Jesus what had happened. In verse 17, we hear the disciples report. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. When the disciples return, they all come back excited. When they come back, they come before Jesus and they say, Jesus, this mission you sent us on, it's been a great success. We went and we did all of the things that you told us to do. We went and we found people of peace and we stayed with them in their home. We came and we healed the sick. But we found, Jesus, that not only did we, were we able to heal the sick, not only were we able to heal people's physical needs, but we saw people spiritually healed as well. Jesus, the mission that you sent us on, it was a success. The towns that you sent us to go to to prepare the way for you, they are ready for you. They're ready for your message. They are ready for you. We've done our job. It was a success. But Jesus' response to their report, I think, is very interesting. And his response is what I want to spend most of our time on today. Jesus' response to his disciples, I think, is uh, very interesting. This is not what you would expect Jesus to say when they come back and say, Jesus, everything that uh, you said we could do, we did, and even more. Even the spirits responded to us in your name. But this is what Jesus says in verses 18 through 20. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let me paraphrase a little bit of what I think Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says to them, if you continue to follow me, you're going to continue to see success. You will keep seeing great things happen in my name. Satan, the evil one, will be overcome through this ministry. You will do great things through me. You will overcome evil in my name. But don't focus on that. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you have been saved. Good job on your mission, but don't focus on the work that I've called you to do. Instead, point your eyes heavenward and rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus up to in this response? The disciples have just gone out and have done everything that he told them that they uh, he told them to do, and they found success. 
And remember for just a moment who these people are. Uh, these people are not uh, the most learned people in Galilee. They are not the, the graduates of McGill University of first century Palestine. They are not people who have probably succeeded in very much that they have done in the past. They have not had any theological training. They're not educated men and women. These are sinners and tax collectors. They're fishermen. They are some of the most despised people in the culture at that time. Very few of Jesus' disciples would have been seen as successful spiritually or economically or socially or in any other way. And now, maybe for the first time, maybe in their lives, they've experienced success. They've been sent on a task and they've come back successful, but Jesus doesn't celebrate their success. Instead, he turns their attention away from their success and turns their attention to the work that God has done in their life. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Transformed by the Mission. Transformed by the Mission. And as followers of Jesus, you and I, by God's grace, we have been saved through faith. Our salvation in Christ, in and of itself, is a work of God in us. It's not by our works. We can't boast about it. It, was, it is what God has done in us. We need to remember that that moment where we were saved, that moment where we came to know Christ, was not the last of God's work in your life. It was not the last of God's work in your life. Throughout your life of following him and serving him, through all of that, God is always doing a work to conform you more and more into the image of Jesus, to become more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways that he does that, one of the ways that he makes us more like Christ is by giving us good work to do for his sake, by giving us a task to do to participate in what he is doing in the world. This task, some people may call it a vocation or a calling, this work that we do is one of the ways that God uses, one of the means that God uses to shape us to become like Christ. As we work for God, we are being shaped by God. As we work for God, we are being transformed by him into who he wants us to be. The work that we do for God and the relationships that we have uh, in that work, the, the risks that we must take so that we must trust God in that work, all of those things are, are something that God uses in order to make us more like Christ. Certainly, as I look back on my ministry here at Ebenezer, the last eight or nine years, I know that I am now a different person than I was eight or nine years ago, and I hope more like Christ than I was eight or nine years ago. I'm a much different person now. Um, I know that I look much older than I did when I came here. That's one way I know that I've changed for sure. We were looking at pictures of, of us when we moved out here, and I can't believe you all called me to this church. <laughs> I looked like I was about 17 years old. I remember the first couple of years that I was a pastor here, and I would introduce myself you know, at a hospital or something like that, and I would say, hi, I'm a pastor. I would get this look of shock on their face. You're a pastor? I don't get that look anymore. <laughs> People are not surprised anymore. But in addition to perhaps my, my look of getting older, I know that I've come to a deeper knowledge of God and his word. 
I've been required through this work to study his word, and I come, I've come to know his word better. Through my time here, I have had to learn how to pray. I've had to learn how to pray and seek God for direction for, for my ministry, and also I've had to learn how to pray for and with others in their life, in their hurt, in their pain, in their grief. I've had to learn how to be humble, realizing that I don't have all of the answers for people. I can't solve the problem of the person who is across from me in my office and who is hurting. I can't solve their problems. I've had to learn that that's God's job, and I've had to learn to be humble with that. I've had to learn patience with myself and with other people. I've had to learn how to deal with conflict with other people, between myself and others, as well as conflict between other people who are in front of me, and I've had to learn how to be a mediator in that conflict. Through the work that God has given me to do, God has made me more of who he wants me to be. And I want to say to you that maybe I have uh, some easier examples because the work that I do is spiritual work. It's pastoral work. But I tell you today, it's true for each of us, not just pastors. As you consider your own life and what God has called you to do, God is calling you to be changed and formed by that work. He is doing a work in you as you go about that work. God's priority in the work that you do is your relationship with him. And God wants to use that work, your job, your role as a parent, your role as a neighbor in your neighborhood, whatever that calling is, he wants to use that context and those relationships and those challenges in that work to make you more like Christ. You know, often we think of the work that God has called us to do that we think that it's for those people out there or for those people that we encounter in the work. If someone perhaps in this room is an evangelist, uh, they tend to think that the mission that God has given to them is for the sake of those that God has called them to speak the gospel to. If someone is a preacher, they think that the mission that they have been given is for those sitting in the pews listening to them. If someone is a person who has been called to quietly care for other people in need or quietly care for people who are hurting behind the scenes, they tend to think that that calling is for those people who are in need. If someone is called to be a trustee at the church, they tend to think that the work is for the congregation as they take care of the property. If someone is a Sunday school teacher, they think that the work is for the kids that they're teaching. If a person is an artist... They tend to think that the work they do is for the person who's going to read their book or enjoy their art. And of course, God uses our work for others, uses it to bless others. But what I want us to see over the course of this sermon series is that the work that we do is not only for those other people that we are called to bless in whatever way in whatever way. But the mission, the work that we're called to do is also for us. The mission field is not only out there. The mission field is also in here. There are places in your life where you have not yet submitted to Jesus' lordship. There are places where you doubt who Jesus is for you in your life. 
There are places where you are not confident that God is going to show up if you take a risk. And it's in that place where our hearts become God's mission field. And where we, as we go about doing that work, we learn how to pray. We learn more about who God is. We learn more about how he will show up if we take a risk. And that's what happens to these 72 disciples in Luke chapter 10. He says to them, You have done a good work in my name, but rejoice in the work that God has done in you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Luke 10, he sends these disciples out two by two, 36 groups of people spread throughout this whole region, going into each and every town, healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the good news of God. And as they go, they're successful. They return to Jesus, excited about what God has done through them. But Jesus turns their attention to their own heart and their own relationship with God and says, rejoice in what God has done in you, in your salvation. So as you participate in the mission of God, in whatever way he has called you to do that, publicly, quietly, behind the scenes, whatever way that is, your relationship with God must be your first priority and your final goal. In your work for God, your relationship with him must be your first priority and your final goal. Our fellowship with God, our relationship with God is our priority. Everything flows out of that relationship. And we take our example from Jesus here, right? In his own life and ministry, his relationship with his heavenly Father was his first priority. How often do we see him in the Gospels going away from the crowds, going away from his disciples to retreat and to be away with his heavenly Father? In the work, in the mission that he was called to do, His eyes were always heavenward. His eyes were always focused on his Father. His relationship with his Father was his first priority. And in the work that we do, our relationship with God also must be our final goal. The things that we accomplish for God, the work that we do, the things that we can celebrate that God has done through us, cannot replace in and of themselves our relationship with God. And it is so tempting to do, to find our joy, our significance, our satisfaction in the work that we do for God rather than in our relationship with him. This is so tempting, especially for pastors. Pray for me about that, that my work for God would not become more important to me than my relationship with God. Our relationship with God and the work that we do must be our final goal must be our final goal. For the remaining time today, I I want us to see what exactly it was that Jesus was trying to teach the 72 disciples. He was trying to shape them in some way, to, to teach them something about himself and about themselves. And I want us to focus a little bit on what it was that Jesus was teaching these 72? How was he seeking to to change them and to transform their minds and their hearts as they went about this work? In verses 21 through 24, just after the passage that Russ read for us, uh, Jesus prays a prayer. And I think that in this prayer, we, we get a hint at what God was seeking to do 
in the lives of these 72 disciples. I'm going to read verses 21 through 24. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus here prays to his heavenly Father and rejoices in, I think, some interesting things. Jesus rejoices in the upside-down and very strange work of his heavenly Father in the world. Jesus says in this prayer that his heavenly Father has chosen to reveal himself to children. That is, to the humble. That is, to those who can't accomplish anything on their own, but those who are dependent on God. God has chosen to reveal himself to those who are dependent on him. Jesus says that God has revealed himself to little children, to the unlearned, to the small group of 72 disciples who were nobodies in the eyes of the world. And the Father has revealed himself to them rather than to who? Rather than to kings and prophets. Prophets and kings. And I think these two categories of people, prophets and kings, represent two different kinds of people. Prophets would be those who are perceived to be spiritual giants. Those who are perceived to be the people who can see God and hear from God. That's what a prophet does, recognizes where God is and hears from him. But Jesus says prophets have not seen or heard what these 72 nobodies have seen and heard. These are spiritual giants, these prophets. And they have not even seen and heard what these 72 have seen and heard. And then kings. These would be not spiritual giants, but those who have great social or economic or political power and wealth. Kings long to see and to hear the work of God, but it has not been revealed to them. It has been revealed to these 72 Nobodies. These 72 have been willing to make themselves humble like children and be dependent on God the Father. Jesus, full of joy, gives praise to his heavenly Father because his heavenly Father has this upside-down way of working in the world through those who do not typically experience worldly success. The heavenly Father uses the weak, the children, 72 nobodies to reveal himself and to work through them. Jesus turns the attention of these 72 disciples away from their success. 
Now, why does he do that? Why does he turn their attention away from their visible, worldly express and turn their attention heavenward to what God has done in them? I think the reason is that because of their success that they would have been tempted to think that they were now prophets and kings. That they were now going to be the people who are going to experience worldly success. And so he turns their eyes away from these visible things that they have done and turns their attention to God. Because if they are prophets and kings, if they have the attitude of prophets and kings, then they won't be like little children. And in order to experience the revelation of God and to experience how God will work through us, we must become humble like little children and not like prophets and kings. As I was reading this this week and reading Jesus' prayer and how much he rejoices in this upside-down way, I think I would go so far as to say that even Jesus himself learned something about his heavenly Father. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus himself grew up spiritually? That Jesus himself grew up and learned new things about his heavenly Father. I think sometimes you get this idea that Jesus was born in Bethlehem with all kind of the knowledge of God and himself and the world just kind of downloaded into his head. But that's not what the Bible says about how Jesus grew up. Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew up in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus himself grew up. And I think in this passage of scripture, Jesus learns something new or at least comes to a deeper realization about something about his heavenly father and the way that his heavenly father works. Jesus sees these 72 nobodies return from their work successful, and Jesus rejoices because he's learned something new about how his heavenly Father works in the world. It's through these kinds of people, these kinds of humble people, these kinds of nobodies that my heavenly Father will do his work. I wonder sometimes if Jesus was asking, Father, why don't you bring me some people with a little bit better talent? I wonder maybe if he was tempted with those kinds of thoughts that we have. It's these kinds of people who will do your work, Father. You know, you and I love worldly success. We praise those who are physically strong. We are attracted to those who are capable managers and who are CEOs. We celebrate the strongest athletes and the most beautiful people in Hollywood. And while our attention, and while the attention of the whole world is on those kinds of people, it seems as if God is at work in people and places that we would not expect. And this is the lesson that the 72 disciples learned that day, and that I would go so far as to say that Jesus learned that day at least in a new way. If we are going to be used by God in whatever role that we have, public, private, behind the scenes, or in front of people, we must be humble like children if God is going to work through us. The disciples in Jesus learned that God was willing and able to work through them 
these fishermen, the lowest of the low, these tax collectors and sinners. God was willing and able to do great things through them as they were willing to be obedient and respond to his call. And so as we continue through this series on being transformed by the mission, I want us to always be asking these questions of ourselves. In my work and service to God, what is God doing in me? What is God trying to teach me right now about himself? What is God trying to teach me about me? What is God trying to teach me about my neighbor or about this world that he has called us to live in? We need to pay attention to the work that God is doing in our hearts, to be able to name those things and to rejoice in them. Not only when the program that we are doing is successful in whatever way we might define success, but maybe even, maybe especially even, when that program or that thing that we've done was an absolute failure. Because even in that failure, God is there, and he wants to speak to us through it and make us more like Jesus because of it. So consider the work that you do in your life, whether it be your occupation, whether it be your job, whether it be your role as a parent or a neighbor. Consider the work that you do in service to God and to others. Maybe the work that you do here at Ebenezer may be something that you do outside of the church. In the context context of that work, in the context of those relationships, in the context of the challenges that come through that work, what is it that God wants to do in you? What does he want to teach you? How is God using that work to make you more like Jesus? Is he seeking to make you more patient? Is he seeking to make you more of maybe an encourager to those around you? Maybe God is seeking to teach you something through a failure in your life. Maybe he's calling you to take some kind of risk, some kind of risk to step out of the comfort zone that you are in and to learn how to trust him more and to seek him in prayer more, to become more of a person who relies on him in your day-to-day life. Or maybe, like in the story of the 72 disciples, God is very simply wanting to teach you that he can work through someone like you. Someone who is simple and like a child. Someone who is humble. Someone who might not be very great in the eyes of the world. Maybe God simply wants to show you that he can and will do a good work in you and through you if you're willing to make yourself available to him. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that you would make us poor in spirit, a people who know that we are like children, a people who are humble and who are dependent on you, people who are willing to know that our daily bread comes from your hands and not from the work that we do or the money that we earn. God, a people who are humble, God, I pray that you would also make us willing 
to go. To go about our work in our jobs and in our homes and in our neighborhoods. God, knowing that you are there and that you are wanting to do a good work. And God, if we're able to see that fruit and rejoice in it, we give you praise for it. But if not, Lord, at the very least, and you would say at the very most, you are wanting to do something in us, in our hearts. And so, God, I pray that we would not lose the opportunities, that we would not pass up this calling in our life to serve you. Lord, because we know and trust and have heard from your word today that it's through that action, that going, that being obedient, that you use that to make us more like Christ. So for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.